and ask the magic eight ball if this is a good idea or not. It says, my sources say no. Good. Great. (laughs) Confirms all my suspicions. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. (laughs) The heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And today, finally, we answer the age long question What was U2's greatest album of the 80s? With me as always, he's the man without answers, Brad from L.A. I have some answers. I just choose not to share them all at one time. <laughs> and our special guest today, Drew, also from L.A. I am sitting here in warm, beautiful, sunny Southern California. Yeah, people up north are not liking us right now. That's okay, though, because we're going to warm your hearts today with a show um, that we've been meaning to do forever. Um, answer that age-long question, what was U2's greatest album of the 80s? And a lot of people are going to say Joshua Tree. I suspect Brad has prepared special arguments for Joshua Tree. Have you not? Oh, uh, special arguments? No, I think they're obvious arguments, Steve. <laughs> and today, he's expecting me to pull out the stunts and defend Unforgettable Fire. I, I, I'm looking forward to the long and drawn-out uh, pathways that you're going to lead us on to try and get us to that place. But instead of giving a 12-minute argument about uh, why the 12-minute version of Bad at Live 8 might be the greatest moment of our lives, I'm going to switch. I'm taking war instead. Oh, man, there's a curveball coming. So here's the deal. Um, first of all, I got, I got to know, um, War, 1983, uh, Unforgettable Fire, 1984. Four, correct, and then Joshua Tree. What? Nineteen eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. Yeah. Do you guys remember uh, buying that album? Do you remember your first time you listened to it? Any of them? I definitely remember Joshua Tree. Um, I don't know that I owned War until a lot later, although I heard the music. Um, and Unforgettable Fire. I'm sure I had it on cassette. So now, if I remember correctly, Unforgettable Fire. They also had that. Is, did they do the live at Red Rocks? Shortly after Unforgettable Fire? Uh, no, that's before. right after war. Yeah, that's, oh, it's right that's, after war. There's okay. the Wide Awake in America little EP from 
Yeah. But that's just an EP. It's not a live recording. Because so that's me, when... I'm sorry. I just going to say, go that's ahead. when U2 came in on my radar is because they did... I was huge into MTV. would sit there and watch it all day. Yeah. And watching the, you know, live at Red Rocks and watching Bono up there on the stage was the first time that he really, like, showed up. And I'm like, wow, this is an amazing band. It might have been the first really great concert video of the 80s. No? Well, when was Stop Making Sense? You guys are going to throw out all these things, and I can't uh, remember. My timeline's always About the same time. About the same time. But I don't think it had quite the penetration. Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't have the energy. Definitely not. So I should back up and ask you, each one of you. I mean, Drew, you graduated high school what year? 1986. Okay, wow. So, okay, we're, you're, you're younger than us. Yep. Yep. Yes, I am. <laughs> Who, so, so, Brad, was, was Joshua Tree the first U2 album you owned, or was it Unforgettable Fire? I think Unforgettable Fire would have been the first one I owned. But, and Drew, for you? It was Joshua Tree. It was definitely it's Joshua, Joshua Tree. Yeah. Okay. And I'm pretty sure Unforgettable Fire was the first one... I bought, and so you'd think I would, and I I spent weeks playing to defend Unforgettable Fire, and then I sat down and listened to it again yesterday, and I'm like, God, I mean, there's some stuff on it I really love. I mean, the the, the version of Bad is is great, Unforgettable Fire is great. But then you get to that second half of the album, and you're just like, Ugh. yeah, um, you're 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 undercutting all of my arguments because all of my arguments were pointed against why Joshua Tree is better than Unforgettable Fire. But yeah, the second half of Unforgettable Fire, it just it kind of wanders a little bit, and it's you know they're messing around with stuff. It's their first album with Lenoir and Brian Eno, and you can hear a lot of Brian Eno's influence on that on those tracks. But there's just you know, they they kind of were messing around with it, I feel like, on Unforgettable Fire, and then they got it right on Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree is too polished. And that's why I like War. War, to me, is like U2. Like it's not rock and roll enough for you? <laughs> well, it's too, it's, too, you, you start, it's too rock and roll. It's not rock and roll enough. It's, it's too echoey. It's like I can hear the studio knobs turning on every song. See, now that's interesting to me because I thought the reason that you were going to choose like Unforgettable Fire was because of Brian Eno's influence on it. I mean, granted, he was there for no, Joshua I mean, Tree as well, but I just thought that was where you really stepped up, or that's what you really appreciated was when Brian Eno came along and really did, because that was his forte. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I Ultimately, I went back and I downloaded War again yesterday and I listened to it, and I think from track to track, song to song, it just holds up a little bit better than Unforgettable Fire. And I think it's you 2 before they became bigger than the music. Mm. And I think that's an important argument to make when it comes to talking about you too, because I think after a blood red sky, suddenly they became more important than the songs that they were singing. And that bothered me a little bit. I still like the idea of a band just being a band. So you're punishing them for being successful. Yes. In other words, if I'm not going to be successful, they're not going to be successful. <laughs> well, see, that's interesting. Cause I, yeah, I think you're wrong. Um, <clears throat> the Joshua tree is just, you know, it is this, 
celebration of an album that the songs are they're polished absolutely but they're well polished an uncut diamond is just a rock is that from karate kid no I, that's that's in a brad <laughs> williams original right there brother that's not going to be on a uh, photoshop thing anytime soon no it's not it's not catchy enough well let's break it down give me your favorite song off of joshua tree um where the streets have no name I'll give you the fact that that song is probably the most spine-tingling song that you two ever created. Absolutely. I mean, come on. You, you hear that? It just it builds. It starts. It builds. They just start layering things in there. And then that lyric comes in. And, you know, it's it's an, an uplifting moment. It sets a, you know, the music kind of sets a stage. It's this big open sense to it. It might also have the best music video of all time. Of, of, of well, YouTube yeah. Stuff. See, now that's your, that's where I was going with you. It's not rock and roll enough for you because that's the most rock and roll video I think they've ever done. They get shut down by the police. Was that in L.A.? Yeah, it was on. It was in L.A. on top of a liquor store. Is it? Is it still there? The liquor store? It's not a liquor store anymore. It's a Mexican restaurant, but the building's still there. Yeah. Do people stop? I mean, do people recognize it as such when they see it? I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. Did that actually play out? I mean, I I don't know you if you both guys are or how. Well, you know LA history or anything, but the the video kind of tells the story of okay, they're going to perform on this thing. It's broadcast on the radio. Too many people show up and they shut them down. I'm just kind of curious. Did it actually happen? That's exactly that way? how it went down. Yeah, the manager was almost arrested. Um, the sound bites that you hear at the beginning of it are LA DJs. Rick D's is one of them, which I find yeah. hilarious because he is the most mainstream. I mean, he was on the the top forty station here forever. Um, so I don't think he even knew who YouTube yeah. was at the time. They handed him the copy and he read it, and he's a pro, so it sounded good. But uh, yeah, no, that's that went down pretty much as uh, as it shows in the video. They actually performed "Where the Streets Have No Name" three or four times up on the rooftop. The first couple times they only did it, from what I read online, they only did it um, with like backing tracks. They didn't actually perform it, and then they got up there and they started performing it. But they did a few other songs too, so it was like a mini concert. It's like eight songs up there. Jeez. But they did get shut down at the end. Yeah. The other thing I, I read was that they had a backup generator up on the roof so that if and when the police turned off their generator down in the street, they could just flip that thing on, which <laughs> they actually did do at one point. What, what part of town is that in? Is uh, it a bad area? It's in downtown. It's not a great neighborhood. So if we did a Stuck in the trip to L.A. again, that would not be one of those tour stops. Well, we wouldn't get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe if we're hungry for Mexican food. Yeah, I don't know. Let me check the reviews on Yelp. Jeez. You know, Orlando, by the way, is like the sort of – it's got a huge Hispanic population now, but it's mainly Puerto Rican. There are no Mexican restaurants that I can find in Orlando huh. anywhere around me. So consequently, I find myself making Mexican food constantly at home. No Taco Bell? I, I, there's no Taco Bell between me That's and work. That's not Mexican food. <laughs> it's yeah, that was Mexican a trick food. question. It's close enough. There's a there's a Del Taco though or a Taco Loco, but that's about it. Orlando's weird when it comes to food. I can't figure it out yet. Yeah, there's no German food there. 
<laughs> the sausage has to come to me. The uh, that that's just not going to work as a catchphrase, Brad. As much as you wanted to, <laughs> the sausage has to come to me. Oh, that's just Steve trying to get people to mail him sausage. God, I would love someone to mail me some sausage. You know, we have what lots of fans up in Minneapolis. Don't they have like um, all sorts of worsts up there? Like you know, the best German- of the worst. Yes, I'm just saying. Could use some sausage. Look a brother up. <laughs> Jeez. It's What's taking a, a weird the turn. Worst, the worst thing, by the way, that's ever been sent to stuck in the 80s, you know, snack-wise, um, I'm going to go with the salmon jerky. Uh, I, I, at least it wasn't the alien jerky. No, the alien jerky it practically broke my teeth off to try to eat it. <laughs> well, what's um, not clear to me is whether it's made of aliens or by aliens. <laughs> Either way. I, I tried it, and I, I couldn't even tear off a piece. It was that bad. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Somebody sent um, from South Korea... Uh, one of our f- fans there sent um, squid funyuns and a, l- a little can of um, larvae bugs that you're supposed to eat. Like you're supposed to warm them up and eat them at a ball game. Ooh. And I, I left those at the Times. I I, I, <laughs> I hope they didn't accidentally open and because I hear that even when they even when pr- properly pr- prepared, they smell like wet garbage. Ugh. So anyway, I miss the snack days. Look, uh, if you want people to send you snacks, just say so. Just say, uh, I want some snacks. Fun. You know, it was fun at the times because <laughs> we'd be sitting there, you know, and there's a room and there's like 10 of us around and someone would send like a gigantic thing or something and everyone would gather around. And What's it'd be this? Like, yeah. What's this? You know, and we'd open it up and it'd be from Cleveland or or Seattle or L.A. or wherever and it would just be really fun, you know. But now it'd just yeah. be like someone with some, you know. Some clerk would drop it off in my office. Nobody comes in my office. And then the sad I, Steve with his sad snacks. Yeah. You know why? Because he set himself up as a boss and everybody's afraid to go into his <laughs> He's office. eating away his pain. He loves me. I'm still sneezy. Yeah. But I, Beth from Turkey sent me uh, – it was the last care package we got. And she sent um, a hat and a T-shirt from Space Camp in Turkey. Oh, wow. And I have those. They, they're on my bookshelf at work. And people come in all the time and ask me about it. That's cool. I didn't know Turkey had a space program. It does. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's like a Star Trek simulator thing. You know, it's Is like it? the cabinet game. You just sit in there. You put the quarter in. What? <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about uh, best NXS album today. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Shabu Shaba. Oh, it's clearly the swing. The um, let me let me make an argument for war. Okay. Okay. And I've already kind of started my argument. And my argument is that it's the last. It's the last album before they become bigger than the music. It's the album that creates under a blood red sky. It gives that is the album they tore on. That's the one that they play at Denver and or outside Denver. I guess it should be. It gives us that amazing one of a kind concert video. It's got so many songs that they still play today in concert. Sunday Bloody Sunday. Uh, New Year's Day, and of course, this one, my favorite, 40.
Interesting thing about 40, actually, this is a very incomplete version of the song. The version they play in concert is so much better. I would agree with that. The version they play in concert is, is a lot longer. Do they still too, close they with really that? really play out that back end. When was the last time any of you saw them live? Do uh, they still close with it? I saw them uh, the last time. Well, it wasn't the last time now. I saw them the last time they came through it and played at Staples. Drew, that was maybe 2005? The office supply store? Staples Center, my friend, where the Kings and the and the Lakers and the Clippers play. It's what took over the Forum. Yeah, when they moved from the Forum, they went to the to the Staples Center. Whatever happened to the Forum? It's still there, actually. Still there. Uh, interestingly, uh, the the company that owns Madison Square Gardens just bought the Forum and is re is basically revamping it to open it as another concert venue. Huh? Do you need another concert venue? Uh, I don't know. I, I saw so many great shows at the Forum. I have great memories of seeing stuff there. I saw In Excess there. I saw the Invisible Touch tour there. I saw lots of Laker games there. My dad used to get tickets right behind the bench. Jeez. We'd watch the, yeah, it was uh, amazing. The tallest man I've ever seen is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> that's, that says something coming from you, Drew. You're a giant. Yeah, I'm 6'6", six, six, but you know, at the time I was a little kid, and he would st- I, I'll just never forget. He stood up, and he just kept standing up. It was just amazing. I mean, the guy's just... I think it's like seven foot two. How do you look in that pilot's uniform? Uh, intimidating, yeah. you know. But you know, he's, he dragged Walton and Lanier up and down the court for forty <laughs> minutes. He could do it. You know, I didn't fully get that joke when I when I saw airplane the first time, but you still kind of had to appreciate it at some level. I think I saw that. I saw that movie. That was nineteen eighty airplane. So I would have been thirteen years old. So I was kind of like, huh, what? Yeah, we're having a big discussion at the house. I have two daughters, uh, fourteen and eleven, and it's. When do you let him watch Airplane? And I think we actually kind of missed we missed it a little bit because it would have been better. There's some sexual jokes I'm not comfortable watching with them. <laughs> and I think now they'll get them, and it's like, uh, we should have like let them watch men. this when they were like nine. Well, I'm thinking of the whole autopilot scene. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a tough little window to get in there. But, yeah, I, the forum was a great place to see. Uh, I mean, the, we've seen Kings games there. I mean, I, was, I wasn't so into the concerts as I was the sporting events back in the 80s. So I, I did see a lot of really good uh, sporting events and a lot of Lakers games there at the forum. I mean, the only show I've seen at Staples is that U2 show, and we were way up at the top, and the sound was just, the mix was so, you know, there's no place for the sound to go in a big building like that, so it was just, it was overdriving my ears. I couldn't I couldn't hear because it was so loud, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, it makes plenty of sense. I have no interest in going back there to see a show unless I'm a lot closer to the band because it just sounded terrible. When was the first time each one of you saw uh, U2 in concert? Uh, first time I saw you two in concert would have been on the Joshua Tree tour, November '87 at the Coliseum. And uh, yeah, I was there too. And only I had a different seat than than Brad did. Ah, do tell. I was uh, I was one of those event staff guys, the yellow jackets. I would go down in college. I would work uh, at football games and concerts at the Coliseum and stuff like that. And I was one of the concert event staff guys. And it was kind of a fun thing because we'd go down there, and I remember we'd actually sit the, right next to the Coliseum was the um, sports arena. Yeah, sports arena. No, sports arena. And so we were all sitting in this big room, and they're telling us, all right, so you t- we all knew who was coming. I mean, let's be honest. The album, the Joshua Tree album, had exploded. We all knew what, where, why we were there. And they said, oh, you know, these guys are going to, we're going to be, uh, um, you know, security for them. And I, they said, we're going to have this guy. I can't remember the guy's name. It was like Dave or something. He's going to pick a bunch of guys. And I noticed as Dave was picking guys that they were all these really big guys. And I thought, 
all right, I want to, I want to be with this guy. And so when he was done picking his guys and I wasn't picked, um, then they had the rest of the meeting. And so I booked it down and I stood as close as I could next to this guy, Dave. And again, I'm six foot six. So I, I, I like kind of towered over him and in my deepest voice, I went, you need one more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he goes, yeah, you come with me. And I thought, sweet. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to Bubba Smith. I don't know. I didn't quite do high tower, but I got as low as I could. Yeah. And uh, so he took us. He he took us up to the front of the stage. And um, when they were at the Memorial Coliseum, the stage had an upper level where the band was, and it had uh, like a staircase coming down to a lower level. And then there was about a five foot drop to where everybody was sitting. And the idea is that Bono during the concert would come down. And I think while they were playing one, he would pull someone out of the crowd and he would dance with them on the lower part of the stage. And didn't they also, that tour, they also brought somebody up on stage to play guitar with them on one song. And I don't remember what song it was, but they're like, does anybody up here play guitar? And they'd pull them up and give them a guitar and tell them the chords and they'd play along. Yeah, I seem to recall that. And I also remember at that concert, someone, um, he, cause he called, that's right. He called up somebody and the guy came up to play the guitar and he also had his demo tape with him. Yeah, that was that was the greatest. So such an LA moment that yes, this kid <laughs> that he pulls out of the crowd to play with him as he's leaving the stage, he turns and pulls a demo tape out of his pocket and hands <laughs> it to Bono. It was amazing. Yeah. It was just so LA. Yep. And so I was one of the four guys. They had four of us sitting on the lower stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so for both nights, I just got to sit there and I mean, I, I didn't get to see them so much because obviously they were behind me, but it was, I got to tell you, it was a, an amazing moment when they would turn on the stadium lights as the, as the band was rocking out and just to see this, this um, just sea of people out there singing along, going along. It's, it was like intoxicating. And I remember thinking to myself, I understand why you'd want to be in a rock band. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It is amazing to look out at that and just see all those people responding to Bono. And of course, every once in a while, Bono would come to the end of the stage and he would be standing kind of up behind me and the light would hit me as well. And I'd kind of shrink down in my seat like, oh, crap, you know, because you just felt like like everyone, no one's watching me. But of course, you felt like everyone was watching you. And uh, it's an amazing moment to be up on that stage and to see just what they saw it was very cool. So, so literally at one point in time, you were like five foot, five feet away from him. Yeah. 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 He was standing right above me. And, and, um, I also remember at one point something hit me in the shoulder and I looked down and Larry Mullen had busted a drumstick and the piece of the drumstick. I don't know if it flew through the air and hit me directly or if it had just kind of been on the stage and someone kind of kicked it off, but it, I got a piece of the drumstick. Do you still have it? No, I gave it to a buddy of mine who was a bigger U2 fan than me, so I don't know if he still has it. Well, he was 6'8"? Drumstick. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, it was my friend Jason from high school. He just really liked it. So did you have any security moments? Did you have anything that you had to do? Like, did someone try to rush the stage? There was one moment where like, everybody decided to try to kind of rush the stage, but at the bottom of the stage, right where we were sitting, it, you know, like I said, it dropped off about five feet, and then there was a little barrier there, and they had like 40 guys there. So... I sat there, and as this whole group of people came and rushed the stage, um, they stopped them, and I didn't have to do anything. I got ready for it, but never even had to had to stand Let's up. See which pocket is my brass knuckles in? Let's see here. Yeah. 
Yeah, like they gave us anything. Yeah. Our, they give you our a, big defense was the yellow yeah, jacket. The jacket. And did you have to buy that yourself, or did they provide that? No, but I did have to provide the the blue corduroy pants were also a prerequisite. <laughs> Is that so they could hear you coming? Zip, zip, I zip, guess. Zip, zip, zip. My God, blue corduroy was totally out come nineteen eighty seven. They're just trying to make sure that the security staff didn't get any dates. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> Check that box. Jeez. I saw them on Unforgettable Fire, so that would have been spring of 1985, and it was here in Tampa at the University of South Florida, which inexplicably is in Central Florida, but uh, USF is in South Florida, and they played the Sun Dome, and so you probably had maybe 10,000 people there, maybe. I think that's what that place holds, wow. and I think it, w- I think it, was, um, it was probably general admission. Yeah, back then, yeah. And I would have sat, but I think they had chairs sat down, put down anyway. And um, God, who opened for them? It might have been like, I don't think it was OXO, but it was somebody like, you know, the, the Red Rockers maybe or something like that. I forget who it was. Yeah. And um, that was, they also pulled the stunt where they bring somebody on stage to play guitar. And he, they played uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door. Oh, wow. Cool. And the guy who came on stage and played the song, I would I, le- I later met him in college. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you remember him from the concert, or was this something he was just talking about one night? And you? No, we were just we were having a conversation. He he, you know, was from Tampa Bay, and I was from Tampa Bay, and um, um, we were both pledging the same fraternity, and we mentioned you two. Oh, I was there. Oh, you were. You know, I was actually on stage. So yeah, I was like, oh crap. Yeah, that was you know. <laughs> you he, he one upped you big there. <laughs> But the the um and I think I told this story when we covered you two like seven years ago that the notable thing from that night was that my friend um Clay, um, one of my high school friends who'd been like had been my friend since Boy Scouts, he was dating somebody at the time, who um I was I was mad about because it was someone I wanted to date or I I met her first and but she went for him everybody went for Clay <laughs> Clay was uh was the sex symbol among our group of friends. And he, um, he, was, he was the John Taylor. He was John Taylor. He's John Taylor and I was Roger Taylor. He had a words. better, nicer car. He had a white Corvette. Oh, that didn't hurt. Yeah. It did. I, had a, I had a white Mustang. Yeah, the Corvette but, trumps um, the Mustang, sorry to say. <laughs> I did something. I, feel, I still feel really bad about it. Um, the concert was over and uh, her name was Christine. I remember that. The concert's over. We're leaving. And Christine disappears. And I'm like, screw it. You know, she knows where our car's at. If she wants to ride home, she'll be there. So I like oh, man. <laughs> up to over to the van. We, I, went, I went all out to leave her behind. Wow. <laughs> and we're in Tampa and we lived in and she lived in St. Pete. So we're talking this. You know, it's going to be an expensive cab ride home that I'm sure she does not have the cash for. Hell hath no fury like a Spearsy scorned. I don't know. It was one of my low moments. And so literally we're like, I'm like, look, she knew we were here. She went with somebody else. She saw somebody else she knew. She took off. She dumped you, Clay. I'm sorry. (laughs) And so we were in the van. I'm like, I'm sorry, Clay, man. You know, that's just the kind of girl that is to dump you at a concert. I think that's bullshit. And, you know, she deserves to get left behind. I'm I'm sure she's with whatever, you know, jerk off guy she met. And, you know, this, you know, should have taken my advice all along and not gotten involved with her. And so, so yeah, exactly. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. So, so we're we're just about to pull out of the university and onto the highway, and suddenly there's this on the side of the van, and we slide open the door, and she's there, just with like 
you know, the eyes of a devil staring at us, like, why the hell are you leaving me behind? And everyone looks at me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why? I thought, I thought you found another ride. Seems I'm like sorry. I did at the time. Oh, my God. I just I was telling everybody what a succubus you were. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, my bad. I, I said in. I'm sorry. So, uh, so she hopped in and hated me pretty much for the rest of her life. And what's funny is after we recorded our first YouTube podcast you know, seven years ago, and I think I told a version of that story then, I got an email from her. Oh, oh yeah. Like a, few, for a, few, a few months later, I got an email saying – is if this you ever Steve? feel the stabbing in your spine? It's me with my voodoo doll. <laughs> Pretty much exactly what she said. Wow. Really? <laughs> she said, "Is this the Steve who does the Stuck in Ease podcast? This is the Christine from U two concert." And I wrote her back. I said, "Oh my god, uh, how weird is that? We just talked about you uh, on a podcast, you know, a couple months ago." She's like, "I know." And if you're wondering, no, I still hate you. You are not forgiven. And, and that was it. I wrote her back saying, "Oh come on, you know, that was 15 years ago, you know." Water under the bridge, you know, can't we all get a good chuckle out of it? No, no response. Radio silence. At least you know where you stand, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, we know right where you were, neck deep in shit. (laughs) You know what I like to be neck deep in right now? The The Seggies. Ah, by the sound of the tone, it must be time for Reader Mailbag. And because Drew's the guest today, he gets the honor of reading it. All right. So it looks like our first one is from Mike Reeser, and it says, uh, Dear Steve and Brad, it's great to hear you back with the podcast. My wife Erin and I have been missing hearing about our beloved decade. We had an 80s night recently where we watched the long sitting on our DVR Mega Python versus Gatoroid. Have you guys seen that one? Uh, yeah. I seem to have no, missed that did not one. see that one. Yeah. I wrote about it. You wrote about it. I laughed when I read about it. <laughs> with uh, Tiffany and Debbie Gibson. Had Funyuns, Little Smokies, and Crown Royal. Sorry, no wild turkey. It was sublime. Stuck in the 80s, Mike Reeser. Did he really? I can't imagine what that must have done to his intestinal tract. Well, Well, I can vouch for that. I mean, (laughs) Canadian whiskey. I mean, come on, if you're going to drink. Man. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't taste like anything to me. Yeah, exactly. And if you're wondering, yeah, I am drinking Wild Turkey 101 for this podcast. Brought to you from the great state of Kentucky. Oh, I'm having some Tito's handmade vodka in my Bloody Mary. You always have to outdo me. I'm having water. Is it's that sad. just sad? <laughs> in L.A. Yeah, it might be. I think so. I wonder, so Little Smokies, I, I'm kind of curious if they actually uh, did the classic preparation where you put them in a bowl in the microwave with some barbecue sauce and then use toothpicks. I didn't know there was another way to eat them. Yeah. Isn't that uh, mandated by federal law? Uh, stuck in the easel, yeah. that's for sure. Um, I, I wrote about – I remember when uh, T- Tiffany and, and Debbie Gibson were doing that – I think it was on the Sci-Fi channel, but I, I never watched it. That's a great hook. I mean getting the two of them into the – you know, it just it, they, it elevates it into from low art to you know somehow makes it lower, <laughs> yeah, lower and more better. That. You know what I, I got to admit? Is that when we interviewed Debbie Gibson, um, who at that point in time insisted upon being called Deborah Gibson yeah. – and she was the first person we ever interviewed in person in our studio. And it, it was really fun and everything. And I remember doing the prep work for it and having to go back and listen to all these Debbie Gibson songs that, that maybe I'd listened to once in my lifetime. Maybe. Tops. Because, you know, that wasn't my thing. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't a 13-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah. It must have been fun to try and, to sit um, through all that. They weren't that bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was they're like, oh, good okay, pop you know. songs. They're good pop songs. But it's late 80s pop. You know, and which is, it's never been my thing, but but it was fun to do. It was a fun interview, 
And um, every once in a while, she pops up into the news, and I'll write about her. Uh, I think she toured with Tiffany That's over the last uh, was year there or so. A feud between yeah, I think them? they were at the mall here. Were they doing their mall tour? Wasn't there a feud between them? They're, so they said. Yeah, I seem to remember something about um, that. Debbie Gibson was obviously the more polished of the two. I think she she wrote her songs. Yeah, she yeah she, she wrote had and some produced like, and you know yeah. I mean, she still works of the equation. Right. I mean, of the two, I mean, they really weren't in the same class. They just came out at the same time. And we, we actually have three emails this week, believe it or not. Yep. So, uh, Drew, All continue right. on. The second one is from Joe McCabe. First off, great episode on 16 Candles. Yay! I knew we liked Joe. I really <laughs> dig the idea of episodes that are dedicated in depth to an in-depth discussion about one particular film from the time. Uh, let me give you a new one. As opposed to uh, albums about you too, which was covered totally insufficiently. Secondly, I'm glad you posted <laughs> on the Facebook page reminding people to email because I meant to point out that while I'm not Asian, I would have thought that Brian to- Tochi Taki. We'll go with Taki. Okay. I would have thought that Brian Taki as Takashi Tashiro in Revenge of the Nerds was a far more offensive stereotype than Long Duck Dong. And then he has a quote from the movie, and I don't remember this, but it's. And we can have robster crawlers? That's way worse. <laughs> That's my most uh, offensive stereotype voice I could do there. So uh-huh. It'll, it'll and, work. And then, anyway, love the podcast and glad you're back, Joe McCabe. That, he makes a really good point. I yeah. forgot all about Takashi. Uh, when we were talking about the you know positive Asian roles, I have a friend who was told me he was basically screaming into his you know into his iPod that uh, you know hey what about Sulu? You guys are forgetting Sulu. I didn't think Sulu was a oh, oh wait as a positive as a positive, yeah, yeah, yeah. As as a a positive, positive. you know not just not just the lab assistant on Quincy. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, it's yeah the Robster Cross. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very broadly painted yeah. again. Yeah, I, I do kind of feel bad now because that is too horrific. Asian, st- but they were comedies. I, I don't know. It's- well, Revenge of the Nerds wasn't exactly um, uh, sensitive to those kind of things. I mean, look at the they had the gay fraternity member, yeah, who was very right. gay, very flaming. I guess if you could say, yeah, that. R- rather again, rather yeah, broadly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's not like they were sitting there worried about their their stereotypes. You know, there's, there's a, a whole movie a- is a stereotype. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, and the nerds themselves <sighs> were stereotypes, right? And the, and the jocks were. Stereotypes. I mean, Brad's a nerd, and and you know he's not. That bad. Not all the time. <laughs> Would you like to see my collection of Dungeons and Dragons miniatures? You could pass for Anthony Edwards, though, in that movie. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Uh, Anthony Edwards is kind of yeah, the man. Yeah, he gets but the I mean, girl in the end, doesn't he? No, no, well, no, that's no he gets the Omega move. Oh, that's right. He gets the Omega that's move. Right. I can't believe you said that about my wife. Oh. It's horrible. <laughs> But no, it, you know, of all 280 episodes, we've never done one on Revenge of the Nerds either. Well, put it. Let's put it in the list. Uh, in the list, on the list, near the list. I'm sure Marty, you wants to talk about Asian stereotypes a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a stereotype of having uh, Marty on to talk about Asian yeah. stereotypes. Thanks to the podcast about the uh, drunken podcasters. All right. We got one more if you want me to get to that one. It's from Pastor Todd. Hi, guys. I'm about halfway through the 16 Candles podcast. Great so far. I did see it in theaters probably three or four times when it came out. I was 19 at the time, and I loved it. I watched all the John Hughes movies with my daughter last year. She's 17. She loved them. One comment, you guys said that there weren't really any touching parent-child moments in the other Hughes movies. How about some of the interaction between Andy and her father in Pretty in Pink? 
Keep up the great work, Pastor Todd. Now, it's funny because I actually remember when I was listening to that podcast, I thought the same thing. There's that moment where he sits down and he, he talks to Andy about mom leaving and not being, you know, being able to do everything that his mom, that the mom would have done. And I thought that was a very touching moment. Yeah, we missed that one. I will concede the point. Yeah. I guess if you really want to stretch it too and say, um, I mean, I know John Hughes didn't direct, but he was involved with um, some kind of wonderful. And there's some nice moments there between uh, Dirk Stoltz and his dad. Yeah. 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 Yeah, In my defense, I've seen Pretty in Pink exactly once. Oh, really? Yeah. We're discussing whether we're going to watch that with the kids. I mean, not whether, but when we're going to watch that with the kids. I didn't think that. I didn't think much of it. There's nothing in there that's objectionable. No. There's no sex in no. that movie. There's no. I don't think there's too much profanity. No, it's not. As a matter of fact, we've already watched uh, Ferris Bueller, which has you know a bit of profanity, and um, uh, what was the, the next one? Breakfast Club, which has quite a bit. But you know, quite a bit. I God, I sound like a Puritan. I'm not really that bad. We just like to be you know aware of what our kids are watching, and that's what we're. So we're going through the the Hughes film library, but we just haven't gotten to that one yet. I'm slowly trying to introduce uh, my girlfriend's daughter to some 80s movies. And the one that she's totally sold on and wants to see next, Cocoon. Really? Huh. I started explaining to her at night because we drove by. uh, One day we were driving through St. Petersburg and we drove by the Coliseum in St. Petersburg, which is this um, dance hall where you see the big big dance scene in Mm -hmm. Cocoon where they're all dancing to the big band. That happens at the Coliseum and that place is exactly like it was 1987 the same way it was in 1947 i mean it's been there it's just perfectly preserved and it's still there and we were driving by it so i started telling her the story of cocoon and she just became totally she's like we have to get it we have to get it on pay-per-view i'm like well, it's not gonna be available on pay-per-view sweetie <laughs> you don't you don't know you haven't checked i'm like i'm pretty <laughs> sure oh uh, the the uh, optimism of youth yeah i was like I go, i'll get it on netflix for us okay but and so next so next weekend when i'm back in st pete for the first time in a month I have with me right now my copy of Cocoon. It's a great movie. And I will so bring it back to her. Really oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's one of the few movies that was made in Tampa Bay that we can call our own and be proud of. So There you go. As always, if you have a reader email, you can send them to sit80s at gmail.com or... Hey, do we have new email addresses, Steve? I think we do. If you want to email me directly, it's steveinthe80s at gmail.com, and it's bradinthe80s at gmail.com. Yeah. If you want to say nice things, send them to me. If you have anything bad to say, send it to Steve. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Hey, as usual, we'll play a segment of a movie from the 80s, and if you can get it right, um, are we going to give away gifts? Um, we say names. I think eternal glory of name being recorded on cast of pods. You know, I do have some. I have. I was looking through my CD collection the other day because um, we're thinking about doing a survey of podcast listeners, um, so that we we can kind of figure out you know who's out there, what they're doing, and we're going to give away some prizes. And I was shocked by how many um, movie soundtracks I have. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many soundtracks I have from from the eighties or from movies about the eighties that are still in the wrapper that I've never even unwrapped? So I, I think we oh, have yeah? some prizes. Ooh. Um, anyway, uh, pay attention. Here's last week's mystery clip. And what? And what? Oh! Oh, what the hell? Stop! I admit it, and what? Ah, yes, Richard Pryor in The Toy. Uh, great movie. 
uh, another staple on HBO in the early 80s. Oh, yeah, every no week kidding. They played, every night they played that thing. Oh, yeah. my gosh. See, I think that was usually bracketed by Flash Gordon and um, For Your Eyes Only, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just like what she says. My wife is very litigious. And he cracks his knuckles like... like <laughs> oh, how'd you do that? <laughs> he comes with his own sound effects. I, I, yeah, I know. You don't even have to insert that. And, and of course, the other great line where you know, he says, you know, introduces him to Master Bates. Oh, humor. <laughs> Oh my Should God, Richard so, Pryor, so highbrow. You have to pick a be- if you had to pick a best uh, Richard Pryor movie of the eighty 80- of all time. I'll give you. I'll, I'll just open it up. Oh God, best Silver Streak. That's always just one of my favorites. Yeah, Brewster's yeah. Millions. Really? Ooh, I do like. You know, that's that. a remake, by the way. I know. I just saw the original not too long ago. Uh, I'm not sure why they remade it. Yeah. Seemed like a good yeah. idea at the time. <laughs> I'm sure. Maybe. So let's have a look at the winners, shall we? Winners yes. include Vava Voom Julie from Northern California, also known as female listener number seven. Soon to become female listener number two, the way we're going. Oh, uh, well, okay. you know, hey, these things happen. Wayne McCoy from Maryland Heights, Missouri. Salvatore A. Lardomita. And Stuart O'Neill from Fort Smith, Arkansas, who really didn't win because he didn't enter. But he did email us and he said, quote, I'm boycotting the Seggies this podcast because I had the correct answer to the mystery movie moment last time, and you didn't read my name. Ooh. Okay, Stuart, you're boycotting us on the Seggies. I'm boycotting not reading your name on the Seggies. <laughs> Come on, man. Okay, he continues. By the way, my closest friend lives in Orlando. I turned him on to the podcast and website. Would it be inappropriate for you guys to give him a shout-out on a podcast? Yes, it would, Stuart. We don't care that his name is Jim Bennett. <laughs> so, so f- and we don't care that you hate him because he sends you pictures when he attends all the great 80s concert Tampa has. Look, Stuart, you made the list, okay? So Stuart first off gives you grief and then he asks for a shout out. That's ballsy. Yeah, exactly. That's ballsy. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. I can respect that, but uh, yeah, we're boycotting his boycott. They grow him with big ones in Arkansas. That's <laughs> all I can say. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Can't you see this horse loves me? That a gal do that to me. It didn't make her my wife. If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com or steveny80s at gmail.com or bradney80s at gmail.com. And tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Or you could write it down on a slip of paper and just throw it to the wind and hope it shows up at our house. That's all Stuart needs to do because you're never going to read his name again. No, I'm always going to read his oh. name again. He's going to win it week. <laughs> Now, real quick, is it Jeez. is it Steve in the eighties eight zero S? Yes. Okay. Just double checking. Good point. Can't have all those errand emails suddenly showing up at the other address. <laughs> ah, the mystical refrain that is name that eighties tune. Hey, you know the drill. We'll play a clip from a song from the eighties, and if you know it. Same as Mystery Movie Moment. Maybe we send you something. Maybe we just give you some love. Maybe we mock you in front of all of your friends. Pay attention. Here's the clip from last week's show. Ah, yes. That's A Sort of Homecoming by U2. I didn't get that one. I, I don't know any U2 songs.
Uh, everybody guessed that was a, uh, we didn't have too many winners. A lot of people thought that was Simple Minds. What? Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I picked a bad part of the song. No, it was obvious. Yeah. By the way, can we address that? I mean, you two Simple Minds. I mean, I I really love Simple Minds. I mean, I, I kind of think that they're. I wouldn't want to call them the poor man's U2, but I, I think that they had as a lot of the same charisma, a lot of the same songs. I don't know why they didn't become – why did they not become bigger than they were? Uh, maybe they needed Dan Le- Daniel Lenoir and Brian Eno. Maybe. I don't know. I really – I, I mean, look 80s, at those three albums that they produced for U2, and they're all true. just blockbusters. Well, right. I wonder also if it wasn't a matter of U2 at that time really came – they 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 really kind of came into America both in a love hate. That's one of the things I loved about the Joshua Tree album was that they they talk about America. They talk about the 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 high desert, especially you know growing up out here in California. I knew that high desert. I loved that as well. And here was this great band with this great music playing this you know or playing something that was reverential to that same area. But they also had like Bullet in the Blue Sky, which was just ripping apart america and its foreign policy yeah like hey you and your foreign policies yeah stink. so here they come out and they do this stuff and so it was it, it really i don't know if simple minds ever gave you that kind of that global awareness that you too did oh i think they did but I th- well it might have been more closer it was to more closer to their hometown I, I mean i love simple minds and and uh they had some great stuff but it, it didn't have quite the global awareness i would say that you two had I'll tell you this: if you if you gave me a choice right now, a concert ticket to the front row of U two versus Simple Minds, I, I pick Simple Minds nine times out of ten. Yeah, I, I've kind of decided I don't need to see U two in concert again. I would. I'm sorry. I would pick U two. It's just it's not going to be. It, it can't be what it was. I mean, I've I've seen them four times, and it just it it won't measure up to those experiences. Do oh real quick, do we want to read the winners? Did we ever read the winners? <laughs> We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> so, but enough about my personal uh, concert-going peccadillos. Winners this week include Gail Weiswasser, Wayne, a.k.a. Jeep Devil, Dr. Dim, Michael G., Tom in Hoboken, and the infamous Lost and Found Sound, Kevin Wench. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us again. I'm going to get tired of saying these email addresses. Um, SIT80s at gmail.com. Steve in the 80s at gmail.com. You, can, you know, look us up on Twitter. Leave the answer there. Um, I think it's just um, at stuck in the 80s. And um, tune in next week to find out if you're a, uh, what is that, Drew? A wiener. Hey, a long lost friend. It's uh, stuck in stuck in the eighties. Our little segment where we—it's uh, a little homage to the past of our podcast. What's this week's clip, Brad? So this uh, week, stuck in stuck in the eighties. Uh, I go back to a story that Steve told in episode one seventy one about some of the fine food that was served to him in the public schools when he was a, a young boy. When you guys were in school in the eighties, did they serve baloney boats in your high school? Baloney boats. Have you, do you what remember the baloney hell boats? Is that? that sounds like some sort of like hazing. No, it's you know, wait. Like trying to, hear me let's out. Give him a baloney boat. Ow! Exactly. No, I don't want to join your frat. <laughs> this baloney boat hurts. Hear me out on the baloney boat. Stop touching me there. Hear me out on the baloney boat. Okay. Okay. Stop saying baloney boat. <laughs> Stop saying it. A baloney boat. And, and let's have another contest. If people send us boats <laughs> made of baloney. Bologna. <laughs> We'll we will say- sail them into the Gulf, <laughs> and we'll film it all for a video blog. So like the end of Excalibur. 
Except for instead of King Arthur to sponge bologna boats. A bologna boat in high school is you took a, a, a slice of bologna, you put a scoop of uh, oh. mashed potatoes, and then, and then cheese on top, and then when you baked it, the bologna would curl up so that it looked like a boat. Hence, bologna boat. That's and disgusting. your school made this. This was an yeah, authorized I grew lunch. Up, that, that was that was that was standard fare in Pinellas County, Florida, wow. during the eighties for lunch. That's wow. why my lunch consisted of a gingerbread cookie. It all becomes <laughs> clear yes. now. But uh, bologna, oh, bologna boat, the gift that keeps on giving. Wow, I bet. Can we continue on with the list? Yes. <laughs> we were doing a list at one point. I got point. distracted not... by bologna. Ah, oh, now I'm really hungry. So, uh, other interesting thing about episode 171, that is the episode right after the infamous breakup episode. And uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to use a clip from that episode is because there's a letter that is read in that episode that was sent in by none other than Drew in the oh, greater Los yeah, Angeles area. I remember this. Wow. Yeah. I felt so bad when I was driving home. And I, I remember I, I clicked it on and, and there was pain in your voice, Steve. And, and I literally said out loud to my stereo, went, oh, no. <laughs> And I was so I was so moved by what you were going through and that you were willing to share it with us that uh, yeah when I got home I remember I, I kind of put this whole letter together I don't have the letter in front of me though Brad do you have that thing I mean no no I, I wasn't oh, going to okay. read it all I just was going I'm, I'm just teasing it so people will go back oh, and listen okay. to it ah, that's a kind of a letdown there Brad you think so <laughs> I don't know you want to know what I think about you Spears no you want that right now <laughs> no. That was what? That was what? Four years ago? Yeah. That was four years ago? Four years ago. Yeah, that's a long time. And I remember the Jeez. letter had uh, like 25 or 26 different like movie titles in it. Yeah. That's very oh, well done. yeah. I remember that now. I do remember that now. You, you stuck yeah. them all in there. I do that. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. That's ancient. I, I still am in touch with Deborah Foreman. Uh, we still message each other back all the time and uh, keep each other up to speed on our projects and love lives and stuff like that. It's kind of fun. It's, it's surreal. It's very I mean, cool. T- talking to her and talking to Martha Quinn is just surreal. So, but yeah, that's I know a lot of people love that episode. You know, what was one seventy one? That was that uh, um, last Starfighter episode. One seventy one is horrible hits of nineteen eighty four. Oh god, I loved that series. That was one of my favorite ones to they do. They were great to listen yeah, those to. Those remember, yeah. I, I would. And the worst part about it though, is, of course, is that you'd get home with those songs stuck in your head. Oh yeah, oh. <laughs> god. The um, I my, my goal is to find another series for us to do that's as cool as that one is, and I have yet to come up with something. I thought about two hit wonders, but that seems kind of lame. It seems desperate. I agree. There's so many the things like with art, you could do. I mean, you could do the the worst movies of that year, but those get a little bit more. Well, subjective. there's biggest bust. Biggest bust. Yeah. 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 We're doing that, so we we, we probably need to continue that series eventually. It's just such a pain to put together. Yeesh. Anyway, search it's a killer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I got the minutes I have to put in. It's just <laughs> staggering. Uh, as uh, as always, if you have a suggestion, tell us your favorite. Email us. Tell us your favorite story that we've told you over the years, whether it be the rum bags in the pants for the Sting concert back in nineteen eighty five. I don't remember, and <laughs> I have to go back and listen to it. Too much rum. Or, yeah, too much rum, too much whiskey today. Um, as always, you know the email addresses. We're not going to say them again. Uh, it's time for a break, my friends. We'll be right back after this commercial interlude. Oh, Dad, how could you? For sure. Cody. Besides, it's totally gnarly birth control. <laughs> I can't stand it. 
Okay, so he's awesome. <laughs> Valley Girl. She's out there somewhere. This is the story of a boy from Hollywood who never dreamed the girl he'd want most was down here. I'll stop the world. Cool. Who invited you? Oh, wow, uh, you mean you have to be invited? Well, that explains it. What? Well, everyone is dressed for See, if I had been invited, I would have known this was a costume party. Right. <laughs> it's the story of a girl from the valley who never dreamed she'd ever be seen with a boy from over here. Like I'm not getting out of this car. All right, but when they attack the car, save the radio. So where can I see you again? I'm here with you now. I know. This is the story of Randy and Julie. The way they come together. And the people who try to pull them apart. Like, don't you think they have parties over there? Oh, where? At the zoo? This geek that she's with could scar her for life. I'm gonna be the mad boy she For life? If you think she's confused, you should see her father. I'm together now. Be right there. Julie's cool. Randy's hot. She's from the valley. He's not. Valley girl. Is this in 3D? No, but your face is. I'll stop the world and I'll help you. we're back um time to contemplate did any of us make a coherent enough argument today to establish who won the battle of best u2 album of the 80s i don't think i did i, I you don't know think you guys called me in to be the moderator and the funny thing was is we really didn't discuss the albums the whole album and i you know and i did come in i wasn't going to be very impo- or very uh, impartial I, I was a big joshua tree fan you say was? Does that oh mean no, you're still not am. Absolutely still. Am. Okay. As a matter of fact, just growing up, I lived on a street called Joshua Street, and I that album came out, uh-huh. and they literally could not keep a a street sign up for about ten years. I bet that's funny. So hmm. I, I have to say, you know, kind of the the core of the argument that I would make to you, Steve, about when you say, "Well, that was they were bigger than the music." I think that in retrospect, 
when you look back at it now, you say, well, they were bigger than the music. But at the time, I don't think that we had that sense. I mean, Bono hadn't become the Bono that, you know, Adam Carolla, I, I found this quote, I thought it was really funny. Adam Carolla said, you know, about Bono, you know, how would you like it if we sent Bob Seger over to Ireland and all he did was complain? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, that that Bono doesn't exist yet. That's a great quote. That Bono didn't exist yet. It was... I, it's very earnest. There's no two ways about it. But I, at the time, I think we all kind of bought it. We we believed that earnestness was real. Uh, and I mean that the Joshua Tree is the height of their power. And I think that as they went forward from that, I mean, is it the next album that they said the sound of Octung Baby is the sound of four men cutting down the Joshua Tree? They've yes. kind of been they've been colored by that success. Well, they didn't um, help themselves with rattle and hum. Well, yeah, that's oh, true. That's, that's true. To me, rattle and hum is almost an argument against Joshua Tree. That is the height of their pretension. Absolutely. But if we're going to draw the line at the Joshua Tree, I think that that is the height of their goodness and their power and their reach and their sound. There's just so much of it there. Yeah. I mean, I will give you – I mean, and I had totally forgot about the whole rattle and hum argument because, I mean, war gives us blood under blood red sky – Joshua Tree gives us Rattle and Hum, which I do remember that album blasting through the college dorms throughout oh, yeah. my freshman year and just being like, oh, God, I hate this. I hated it. <laughs> well, there's some stuff on there that I like, but there's some stuff on I really do not like. What, 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 when I think of U2 in the 80s, um, the, the vision that always comes back to me is, and I look at it every night before I go to bed, and I'm not trying to be weird or anything. But in my oh, thank goodness, too late because <laughs> that would be totally unprecedented for me. But in my living room here, I have a, a giant poster, and I've mentioned this before, of the final moments of Live Aid. And on that, you see Bob Geldof, you see George Michael, you see Howard Jones, and you see Bono still with the microphone in his hand. And it makes me think of the twelve-minute version of Bad that they perform. Yeah. At Live Aid, and that becomes the signature moment. If there's a signature live moment for you two, it might very well be. I think that is it. I think yeah, you're absolutely right. Minutes. That and made you so, two, you two, to some extent. Right, and to some degree, that defeats any argument we make today about uh, Joshua Tree or War or Under Blood Red Sky, Rattling Hum, Octung Baby. It the the precipice is 12 minutes in Wembley Stadium. In front of the entire world, where U2 just decides to play a song for 12 straight minutes. And it was probably the most 12 sublime, most sublime moments of the 80s for me. And it goes through my mind every night when I flick off all the lights here, and that's the last light I flick off is in the living room, and then I head into bed, and that's what I'm thinking is, you know, we had Live Aid, yeah. and, it was, and it was great, and U2 made it, and they made the 80s for us. So... We can battle all we want about greatest albums. You know, we all, I mean, it's not wrong to have a personal preference. I agree. And I think, you know, our original argument, we were had kind of talked about Unforgettable Fire versus Joshua Tree. I feel like those two albums are kind of two sides of one coin. The Unforgettable right. Fire is, you're, it's an inward looking album. It's an sure, introspective definitely. album. Um, I, it's funny. I like to listen to. I do a lot of work where I end up in New York for a week at a time, and uh, I like to listen to the Unforgettable Fire while I walk around the city because I'm alone in the city. There's a million people, but I'm alone in the city, and that music is, you know, it's that's, a perfect soundtrack. For it's that. my yeah, it's my cocoon that I walk around within. But 
the Joshua Tree, I want to be driving my convertible through Joshua Tree National Park, cranking it as loud as I can, <laughs> singing at the top of my lungs. It's an outward-facing experience. Definitely. I, I have. It's funny you say that because I actually did that. I was driving through the high desert, and I had left in the middle of the night for some reason. And I was driving through a canyon, and the sun was coming up. So I was still in the shadow, but the sun was hitting the the west side of the canyon and where the streets have no names started on my cassette player. Oh, wow. And it was just one of those moments where, and I had the top down and I was just driving and I'm like, this is, it, it, this is one of the greatest moments of my life. Yeah. That's cool. When you can yeah. capture something like that and you're like, you just like, got to set this yeah. aside. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool. It's cool. We can, we can come together every week and we can capture, recapture these moments from the eighties. I mean, I got to admit, there's not a time I ever do a podcast where I don't get the chills by the time the show's That's over. That's just the drink. And, yeah, it could be the drink. And, but it also could be the sun hitting a canyon with the U2 song playing in the background. And so I leave you with that thought. Uh, Brad, as always, you're a nerd. <laughs> That'd be a real sh- it'd be a real shame if all those accounts got shut down, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Drew, amazing story, man. I, I will I will envy you for a lifetime for sitting five feet away from Bono during the Joshua Tree. Tour. Yeah, that's a great, great, what a great it experience. Was, it truly was. It yeah, it truly was. I burn with jealousy. Good. And, and so it is with envy in our hearts <laughs> that we leave you here this week, but we'll be back next week because we are eternally stuck in the 80s. <laughs>